Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Today on Lit, Justin and I are going to be talking about uh, Easter, and not just Easter, the you know Easter Sunday, but the whole season of Easter, uh, which we start on Easter Sunday, uh, but which goes for fifty days uh, until the day of Pentecost. We celebrate the the, the great fifty days. Yep, the great fifty days. Uh, so we're going to talk about Easter as the whole season, whole season of resurrection, just like we. Got to have this whole season of preparation to get to Easter, um, the season of Lent, then we have a whole season to enjoy Easter. You know, and I think to set the stage for this conversation, I'm going to take us back to the first Easter service in many churches, not all churches. And we talked about this uh, on our recent episode on the Triduum, but the Easter Vigil. There's a great uh, ancient hymn we, we sing or say there's a couple lines in there that I think capture the elements of what resurrection and Easter and why we're celebrating for 50 days, uh, what's happened. So if you have your prayer book, I'm just going to give you this page number so you can kind of find it. It's a fairly long uh, liturgical piece, page 287. Uh, and what we read here or sing is, this is the night and again, referring to the vigil, just a quick reminder, the vigil usually happens on Saturday night or early Sunday morning when it's still dark uh, and there's a play on light and dark. So bear with me. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from the gloom of sin are restored to grace and holiness of life. That's one thing it says. And then it says, this is the night when Christ broke the bonds of death and hell and rose victorious from the grave. And that's something I think we, we don't always, I'm going to kind of go through these individually and just point some things out. I don't think those are, that's something that we always, it's kind of funny when I say this out loud, but I don't think people always internalize that, that what Christ accomplished in descending amongst the dead was to destroy the power death has over us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because it's such a big topic in our minds and that it's just you don't always hear people register that. Yeah. Register the reality of what that is. There's a great icon um, in, in the early, well, it's not in the early church. You can see it in churches today called the harrowing of hell, where you see Jesus coming out of the place of death. Maybe not our modern version of hell, but out of the place of death where those have been asleep. And he's got his foot. It comes in a couple different versions, but one of the most popular ones is his foot's on the gate of of that, Mm. of Sheol, of Mm -hmm. that place. Um, And all the souls are moving out. Yeah. They're floating up. And that's one way to capture that. Then uh, then it goes on to say, How wonderful and beyond our knowing, O God, is your mercy and loving kindness to us, that to redeem a slave you gave a son. And then the last thing I want to say or uh, well, the last two things, but I just want to point out a couple more things. On this night, it restores innocence to the fallen, puts wickedness to flight, brings joy to those who mourn, cast out pride and hatred, and brings peace and concord. And boy, how blessed of a night is this when earth and heaven are joined and man is reconciled to God. And that's the reality of why we celebrate for 50 days, because there's so much that happens in the resurrection by the fact that the tomb was empty, by the fact that 
uh, depending on which gospel story you read, uh, in my case, I preached on Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb and then several disciples come after her as she's trying to make sense out of why the tomb was empty, that that reality caused so many different things to happen that affect us in so many uh, profound and, uh, and particular ways uh, to our life. But yet, Bryn, for so many of us, like you and me, we stand here uh, in Easter week, and I'm tired, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm exhausted, and it's kind of, it's almost like, uh, dare I say, we, we rev up for Lent, for the self-examination, yeah. the repentance, yeah. and then we check the boxes of our liturgical exercises that are so important for our spirituality that we've talked about in previous yeah. episodes. Then we land either at the Easter vigil or Easter Sunday morning, and we're like, I did it. Yep. And I, we're just kind of flat. I like the uh, the Easter meme that you'll see from clergy and other church professionals that says, he is risen, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I think, there, I think there's a lot of energy in the season of Lent, and we begin Lent on Ash Wednesday with this invitation to self-examination and to take on these new disciplines. And we often have Lenten programs that help support people in doing that kind of work. And then we really ramp it up in Holy Week. Um, and with the Triduum, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, we we get to our Easter celebration and we're like pumped. You know, we've gone through all of this stuff uh, and we get to Easter Monday, and it's it's almost like the you know the morning after the birthday party or the 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 day after your wedding or you know when you sort of wake up in a haze and and think like what what just happened you know and um, and and we're tired. We're tired. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work to get through all of that, and and we're tired. And I should stop and say, I think being tired doesn't, I want to say this clearly because I know I have a feeling, I won't say I know, because I don't know everybody who's going to listen to this episode, but all of you, I have a feeling some of you feel that way um, mm-hmm. as, you've, as you've gone through your own Lenten journey, you've brought everything to bear uh, to Holy Week and then Easter, and you're just kind of there. And I want to just say that that's okay, right? That's Okay. That's where we are. Yeah. That's where we are. Um, and I and I think I, I can, I'm going to give us a pat on the back. I commend Brendan and I for actually saying this out loud <laughs> because so often we clergy will hide and say, oh, gosh, we can't say that. We can't say that about Easter. It's the resurrection. But it's the real truth of what most people feel like after they've kind of run through the liturgical Olympics of Holy Week and Easter and I think part of it is, uh, I think part of it is we don't fully grasp the reality of the resurrection. I mean, it's a big, uh, I'm going to use this word now, we're going to come back, or we might go there now, we'll come back to it. But it's a big cosmic reality mm-hmm. that has implications, not just for you and me, uh, for just humans, it's for the whole creation. Things happened. Um in the resurrection. And, but it's hard for our minds to kind of wrap, especially in a very Western intellectual society to think our way through 
and it sounds really funny when I say this out loud, Brent, but this is, you know, I was on a, I was on a podcast, I was invited to a podcast. Um, what? You'd... Years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was this afraid maybe you, you before were. Before you and me. I, did, I, I thought um, maybe you were cheating on our podcast. No, I've never cheated on Lit. Okay. Uh, but this was with an atheist who invited me. Whoa. And one of the things he said is, is kind of his defense of atheism. It was a really fantastic conversation, very respectful. It was, it was the only, I felt really good about it, and he did too. And I, we've actually stayed in touch since then. Um, anyways, one of the things he shared is how intellectually he can't wrap his mind around the fact that Jesus was dead and then he was alive and how that's physically possible. Mm-hmm. And then when, you, when we kind of got into it, and I kind of kept kind of pushing a little bit and pushing a little bit. I realized, like many of us, he'd lost some people he'd loved. Mm. And they ain't come back to life in the way that he wanted them to. Yep. And I think there's a little bit of that that always happens. So what I mean by that is, so that's one example. We bring those things we've been working on in Lent to bear, and I think we expect some kind of individual transformation to yeah. possibly happen yep. post-Easter Sunday. And then we realize, like in the, our case, and I think you said this in our pre-show pretty well, we wake up and it's still COVID. Mm-hmm. There's still people struggling for jobs. There's still people worried about putting food on their table. Those things are still happening. They didn't just magically go away, nor did all of us get an individual download of our operating system from God. It says, now you're, you're resurrected. Upgrade. <laughs> um, yeah, well, dare I say, maybe we have a little bit of Easter disappointment because... We, we've acknowledged this amazing resurrection, and it didn't fix us. It didn't fix our lives. Like you said, we still, you know, we still wake up and there's COVID. People are sick. People are dying. We're struggling. They're still suffering. And I think that's when, you know, when, when we have to acknowledge a few different things. One, that resurrection is not about self-help that it's not something that is that is intended to fix us. Um, and that resurrection is something that that is done for us, but is not about us. Um, and, and then to go back to what you were saying earlier, there's a cosmic reality to resurrection. You know, it's like in the Exultet, that part that you read, when heaven and uh, when earth and heaven are joined and man is reconciled to God that that's a cosmic shift that has taken place that we believe as Christians took place is a historic event. Like this was, this is not a metaphor that happened that we, you know, talk about again and again to celebrate a symbolism, but we, we, we celebrate a historic occurrence, an event that changed the whole world in ways that were seen at the time with Jesus standing before people and then has changed the course of history since then and changes all of us. And let's start, let's go through those one by one to maybe kind of reframe this. And I think what we'll find on the other side is a little rest and peace as the same exultet says. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that cosmic peace. So we know in the early church and the early church theologians, they had a thing known as cosmology. I'm not going to get too technical with this, but the idea for kind of a, a simple way of understanding that is those thinkers spend a great deal of time prayerfully trying to understand the creator's relationship with the creation and then Jesus's 
accomplishments in the Christ event, which is the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, which the ascension will come a little later in our Easter tide in our 50 days. On day 40. On day 40. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brent. Um, and what um, they spent a lot of time trying to understand that because they they came to the, they seem to be, as you read the early church literature, you seem to under, they seem to understand, we seem to glean from them that they had a good sense that what Jesus accomplished wasn't just for human beings. The whole creation was essentially going wonky in a covenantal relationship with God where being led by humans, and again, in their cosmological thought, we were given dominion over the rest of creation. So when we started messing up, we brought the rest of creation with us. Yeah. So when we kept not living up our up to our end of the bargain, up to the you know a covenant is a relationship. You agree to do X, and God agrees to do Y. We weren't doing X, so there were implications for that. And then God moves in such a loving and overwhelming way by sending His Son Jesus down. That all of that is then made right, and it didn't involve you and I or humans, yeah, because we couldn't get it right. So. No. Jesus accomplishes all of that on the cross. And you capture some of those elements, obviously, in the Holy Week liturgies that we've talked about before. But it's important to understand that that cosmological implication, because then it makes us realize that when when we hear in the exultate, man is reconciled to God, that's not, it's not like a self-help thing. It's, It's a reconciliation. It's a restoration of a broken relationship of which... We did nothing necessarily to get. It yeah. was freely given to us mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ. So, so you're kind of left there in that particular place of going, wow. Like thinking about where we are, like just me. Let me just talk about me. Let me talk about anybody else. I don't know who else is going to be listening to this, but just me. Where I am in my imperfection. And yet that still is a gift given to me. Yeah. And I think the early church captures this. You know, the Desert Fathers talk about this. That's kind of the foundation of their way of thinking is understanding that, oh, my goodness, God loves me so much that this happens. You know, but it's not just, but it happened to everybody. They're very clear in the desert. Like, yeah, my brothers and sisters, the ones I understand, the ones I don't understand, the ones I like, the ones I don't like. It all happened. And some of them will go even as far as to, you know, start pointing out uh, nature. This has been restored. And I think that's, Bryn, that's part of where we get that implication, where we connect um, the resurrection to like flowers budding and spring. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I want to be clear, that's all beautiful. I love flowers budding. I, I especially love Austin right now as things are coming back, especially after our snowpocalypse of not yeah. so many weeks ago. You like all of the pollen? Not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. We like the flowers, but we not like the, the flowers. <laughs> but I also, when I see those flowers or I see a butterfly, I know that the resurrection was more than that. Yeah. It's more than that. That That is my mind's way of probably trying to grasp something that's that's has a mystical element to it. Mm-hmm. Because it didn't involve me in the mm-hmm. sense that I didn't go on the cross. I didn't descend and I didn't come back. It's just funny how many ways that we need to be reminded of that, you know, because there's this temptation in the season of Lent to think 
that you, you know, you're going to like nail these disciplines and to have like achieved something by the time you get to Easter so that like you deserve your resurrection or something like that. You know, because if you if you arrive at Easter morning and you say, God, I nailed it. <laughs> then, then you maybe missed the point. But if you get to Easter morning and you and you realize that you cannot save yourself, that despite your best efforts and intentions, there was nothing you could do to really make your life better. That, you know, sure, there are things that we can do. You know, we can walk, eat healthy, tend to our loved ones. You know, we can we can make objective realities in our life better. Um, but when it comes to like the existential um, reality of living, only only a savior can do that for us, you know. And that's I think that's what that's what we mean when we say that like resurrection is not self help. That resurrection isn't something that we do for ourselves, where we look look at the the material of our lives and think. How can we how can we turn the the negative things, the things that are dying, the things that aren't working for me? How can I turn those into a success, a win? Um, that's not what we mean when we're at, when as Christians, we're talking about resurrection. We're talking about eternal life with Christ in heaven. And we don't do that. We don't earn that. We don't accomplish that. We're given that through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that is where I'll say, as we go through those three assumptions, those three kind of uh, criteria that you shared, as we round out this third one, and we'll go back to the first two. That's where I'll say right now, that's why we celebrate for 50 days. (laughs) That's why we... It's kind of not all about me. It's 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 a me realizing this, and I kind of rest in that. You know? Yeah, I, I find comfort in that because I'm gonna tell you. I don't know about y'all, but uh, I, I like many can suffer with control issues, which we all do. Well, I, I can't mean, control it, eternal life. <laughs> everybody but me. I obviously don't. Yeah, obviously, Brenda's not <laughs> does not suffer from this, and that's the reality. I mean, I can't control eternal life. No. But I can rest in the reality and now realize, as the exalted says, I can find peace and concord in knowing that truth, that promise, and that reality of this historical event that happened that it has far-reaching implications for all of space and time. Well, honestly, I think that's why we get to Easter and feel this kind of restlessness or even this sense of ennui is that the only thing that we can do by the time we get here is is rest in a reality that we cannot control and that reality is both the most amazing overwhelming possibility that we can imagine and also because we can't do anything for it is maybe kind of intimidating you know, that like that all we can do is rest means that our best efforts at control, which we spend the rest of our lives trying to perfect and hone, don't work here. 
and they aren't necessary. I mean, I think that's, I think we need to point out the relief in that is that that control is not necessary because the work has already been done for you. And I think that's where the desert teaches us when you really dig into the desert uh, literature. That's why they go back to self. You know, that's why they say, and some people almost hear this as a Lenten message. And I don't, I hear it as actually as, a, as an Easter message when they say that salvation is found in your relationship with your neighbor. You know, you live and die by the neighbor because they understand that eternal life is there. And to fully realize God and the implications of that, you must dig into the relationships with those around you because no longer do you have to worry about. Is this person going to get, is this person, did this person get eternal life? And this person didn't, you no longer, it's not in your, it's not in your wheelhouse. It's not any of your business, but what is your business is yourself in the sense that you're a conduit of this very much alive God, life and light that we talk about on Easter and how you impact your neighbors and how you interact with them. And that's how they understood the resurrected life. It wasn't, it wasn't about, um, hair shirts and whips and mm-hmm. all sorts of um, penitential practices because we're unworthy. They they understood their worthiness at the same at the same levels they understood their sinfulness. So they they almost live. One might say, if you want to put it another way, one might mm. say they live their Lenten journey and their Easter journey side by side mm. in tandem with one another. Mm-hmm. That they don't make sense separate from one another. Yep. Um, and I think there's power in that. So when we bring all that work from Lent to Easter, it doesn't just magically go away. Hopefully we've we've done that self-denial, self-examination, repentance, and we carry that into Easter tide, and then we'll carry it on into the next year. It's not that it just magically goes away, poof, mm-hmm. in a cloud. Um, it's there, and it's part of who we are, and now we, we utilize it and we work on it. So... Now, bring us back. What else do we need to go through, Bryn? I'm putting you on the spot now. Oh, man. Well, I think the so we've talked we've talked a lot about sort of one side of the coin of Easter of getting here and being a little bit uh, tired. Uh, The other side of the coin is. Of skipping to Easter and having the great celebration of the resurrection without acknowledging that in order to get to resurrection, something had to die. And, I, you know, again, we, we skip over the parts that we don't like, uh, but we, you know, something, something painful happened in order to get here. And, and I think that's another part of holding things together. That's, you know, that's, makes me think of what you're talking about of holding Lent and Easter together, that there is, um, that in order for us to feel the closeness to God that's promised in the resurrection, we have to have seen how far away from God we have taken ourselves. Um, and so in order to to see the the joyous life of resurrection, we have to have also acknowledged the death that preceded it. But it's easy to just skip over that. Well, and I, and I think, you know, uh, I'll say two things. One is uh, 
earlier in our in this season one of uh, of lit we we talked about the cycles liturgical cycles and that we're in the paschal cycle it started with lent comes through easter and there's a reason that those two are together there's a very important reason those two are together at the same time i was going to share this this year uh on good friday i did something that I'd like to think I've done in years past, but not really. And I did it somewhat on Palm Sunday because I don't think a lot of us do it for the reasons you're saying. You get uncomfortable. We, we tend to soften the, the uncomfortable pieces mm-hmm. of the passion narrative. But I flat told the congregation, we're going to sit in this darkness. We're going to sit in this death. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, and I, if I'm honest with myself, I know what I've done before. You start foreshadowing Easter. You start trying to. Yeah. Right? Jesus died, and now we're going to start thinking. But we know the end of this. We know what's going to happen. And I'm sure I said that a couple times this year if I think about it. But I really tried to live in the reality because I knew it was important for us to understand that for resurrection to happen, Jesus had to die. And that particular event uh, is uh, we focus on that particular event on Good Friday. Um, but we needed Good Friday to have Easter Sunday. Without Good Friday, there is no Easter. There is no Easter Sunday. So to your point, I mean, without death, there isn't new life. Uh, and the same when we, when we not, I'm going to go probably off on a tangent here a little bit, but when we talk about baptism, you go through the waters of baptism, which is something that is commonplace here in the Easter season. Uh, you'll, you'll see churches have an uptick in their, in their baptisms. Because we are dying to a portion of ourselves and being reborn again. There has to be you know, the resurrection sets these these things in motion for us to consider and to think about the reality of being baptized or going down into the water and coming up is death into new life. You've got to have the death to have the new life. You don't just get new life on top of life. Mm-hmm. You know, something has to go away for this new life to happen. Um, and, and it may seem simple, but I don't think we always grasp that reality uh, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, I think it's a huge reality and is a good reason that we do have so much time to focus in this Easter season just to try to get a glimpse of it. You know, maybe we we sort of walk around it in a bunch of different ways, hoping that we just get to see it out of the corner of our eyes even. But it's so it's so much to comprehend that that it takes us some time. And so I think it's worth just resting in this time, resting in the resurrection and experiencing it however you are, both with with joy and celebration at the gift of life that that we are given, Um, the gift of this life that we're living now, but the gift of eternal life that's promised to us in the life to come. Uh, and and also to you know take to God the reality of of what is in the in the in between the up and the down the the good and the bad and to know that that in you know because we celebrate and observe a liturgical cycle um, that everything has preceded what comes next. You know, we just keep going around in the circle. And the good news about that is even in even in death, then resurrection has come before that. And the good news for us who are alive here in 2021 
is that Jesus's death preceded any death that we will experience and that we will be we will be raised with him and that is a promise that we're given and all you can really say to that is alleluia christ is risen the lord is risen indeed alleluia we're going to leave it there and what i want to say uh, is as we go into this easter season we're going to pick up on um, liturgies that are that are considered Easter liturgies. So in, in the next couple episodes, we're going to dive in a little further into our journey through the prayer book, but now connecting particular liturgies in the prayer book to this Easter season. Uh, so thank you again, as always, for your listenership, and uh, we will see you next week. Lit is a production of the Reverend Bryn Bond and Justin Yon, Episcopal priests in Austin, Texas. Music is provided by Alitu. We encourage you and invite you to send your questions to us via the emails you'll find in the show notes below. We will ask, uh, answer them on air at a future date, and we so appreciate your listenership. Mm-hmm.